Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. Each episode features educators sharing their practical ideas to put more science, technology, engineering, and math into every classroom every day. For show notes and more information, visit dailystem.com. Here's your host, Chris Woods. Well, I am so excited that today we get to chat with Marsha Tuft, and she has a passion for STEM, especially for the engineering design process, and, and some educators are still never really fully sure about what is engineering or how to teach that in a classroom, and, and not only does she have some great resources, but she's got some new books that just came out. Uh, she's a retired engineer with a PhD in engineering. She worked for GE Aviation. I can't wait uh, to let everybody get to know Marsha and just some of the incredible things that she's doing. Welcome to the show today, Marsha Tuft. Thanks, Chris. I'm so happy to be here. I love what you're doing for STEM, and your whole premise of STEM Every Day really sums up lessons learned in my life. Yeah, well, um, let's just start right there, Marsha, because I I know what you faced when you were in college was you got a bad grade, and that almost turned you off to the whole engineering and and, and all of your career to this point. So let me back up just a bit because I want to share one other thing. My father worked as a non-degreed industrial engineer. And as a veteran of World War II, he could have gone to college on the GI Bill. Mm -hmm. But like many other students we're seeing today, he lacked confidence in his own math skills. So he didn't take advantage of that opportunity. So he worked as a non-degreed industrial engineer but his advancement options were limited. Even though he was brilliant, he was creative. And my mother took away from that. He got dumped out of math courses and shunted into extra English courses at his high school. Mm -hmm. So she was very proactive at stressing the importance to math Mm -hmm. to me and my sister. In fact, Mm -hmm. we even moved houses once when my sister was getting substitute after substitute in math in high school. So they sold the house they had custom built and we uprooted to a different school district with a better education system. That's, so, you know what, right, right, right there, Marcia, though, mm-hmm. that is a little taste of, I think, parents need to be thinking about their kids' yes. education needs to be so important that, yes. that, that your family even sold a house and moved that their kids, you and your sister, were getting incredible opportunities. I mean, what, what an important thing for all of us to be thinking about. I was so lucky. I could not have had better parents who were more engaged with us and proactive in our education. They made time for us. Dad did science experiments with me. (laughs) My mother actually had two years of college at Ohio State. She went to journalism school. But when I had math problems, I went to my father. Uh So it's like because he knew how to work with it, Mm -hmm. you know. But, but so laying that foundation, I loved art, I loved science, I was good at math, I liked all three. I had a tough choice between art and engineering. And I chose <laughs> engineering because I remembered all the midterms where I'd get kind of bored on my art midterm. And I thought, well, what am I really going to do in art? And then I had this Gatsby <laughs> test, which said, you know, it matched me with, here are the things that would be a good match for you. And engineering was up there with stuff that was hard. Yeah. And yep. here's the things that would be, you know, you'd be good at, but they'd be too easy for you. So uh-huh. art was kind of in there. And then there were the things with like, please don't do this. And there was like <laughs> concert pianist and surgeon. It's like, okay, my manual <laughs> dexterity sucks. Although I've become a very good typist and a competent knitter. So they haven't let that stop me on my hobbies. We should, we should always encourage kids to keep on trying things that they're not good at. 
Yeah. Because if you have fun, it's like you never know where that next idea is going to be. And, exactly. And what, what's going to inspire you. But anyway, so fast forward to sophomore year, mechanical engineering at Purdue University. Mm-hmm. I got my first D ever in physics, electricity and magnetism. Wow. Now, okay, I will say, kids, if you haven't been to college yet, you don't know how lucky you are because your teachers in high school they know how to teach when you get to college the professors are technical content experts right and maybe they don't even care about teaching but regardless i came up with this d and i had to figure out if i had what it take to continue in engineering right i didn't want to be a i didn't want to be a quitter mm-hmm. but i just i just lacked confidence on what should i do you know i didn't want to waste my parents money <laughs> and when the rubber hit the road it wasn't the high school physics project that I won awards from, including one from the American Society of Mechanical Engineers. Um, it was all the creative hobbies and design projects, things that I dreamed up and problem solved and figured mm-hmm. out on my own as a kid in elementary school and later in junior high and high school that helped me stay the course. I knew I was creative. I figured out that I just needed to learn a new medium. Mm-hmm. and you know, everything from, yeah, I grew up sewing and there are a lot of women engineers of my genre that grew up sewing because I think you can't sew without learning to rip. So you fail, you learn Uh, learn industrial engineering, I learned project management. But the key thing for me, I think I was, I had time in the summers to play and create and invent and take on projects. And it's different when you're figuring something out rather than you're in a classroom and you have a teacher saying, okay, here's the project. Here's what I want you to do. Here's how you solve the problem. And I felt like in school, I could kind of piggyback on my teacher's brain and kind of follow where they were going. Mm-hmm. When I got back at, in my dorm room or something, it's like, where was he coming from? It's like, <laughs> all of a sudden it's like, I lost it. But, right. but when you are initiating projects and dreaming things up, that's and failing and learning mm-hmm. from failure or saying, Hey, this, this came out. Okay. But could it have been better? Yeah. You know, this material didn't quite work out the same way, but you know, so you learn sewing, you learn about materials, you learn about construction methods, you learn about tolerances, you learn about how to set up an effective workspace. You learn about how long is it going to take you to make a garment exactly, or a tote or a bag or whatever. Mm-hmm. So all, all those things, as, as you're explaining those, Marsha, I'm thinking so much of it is, is problem solving. So much of it is it engineering. Is. And uh, I think of so many educators right now that are doing a terrific job of, of getting kids at those younger levels, elementary, middle school, to, to really dive in and, and be creative, to be makers, right. to be creators. And, and, and like your story shares with us, Marsha, those are the things that can help those kids press on when they get a bad grade in college, when they're, when they're starting to contemplate. And, and teachers, remind your kids that, that a bad grade is, is not, failure is not the end. That, that's just a point where you have to just reevaluate and say, this is what I'm really passionate about, or maybe I need and a course a correction. Point, it's a point to one, ask for help. Yes, um, that's true. I got to in algebra one time that did not jive with my self-image. And it's like, okay, I'm not getting this. I stayed after school and got help from my math teacher. Mm-hmm. And then it was fun. And I know some kids are like, oh, 
if it's not easy, it's not meant to be. It's like wrong. Right. right. If it's easy, if it's too easy, you're going to get bored. And the mm-hmm. thing you need to learn in school when you have a support system is how to push through the hard stuff. Exactly. And how to how to get help, how to ask for help. I don't know any teacher that's going to say no if you ask them for help on a problem. Right, right. It's and just hard, it's just hard to ask sometimes. Yeah. And, and I want to right away um, just mention to everybody listening today on the podcast, if you go to putneydesigns.com, so P-U-T-N-E-Y designs.com, that's Marsha's website. Um, you can find out about uh, the three books we're going to talk about in a moment that she just published here in 2020. She's also got a bunch more resources as well, some, some great project and activity ideas. She's starting to post some things, some explanations and, and things on on YouTube channel as well, which you can find uh, linked on her website. Um, but really, a lot of this comes down, Marcia, to helping kids have the confidence that they need to be those types of designers, those creators. You're a big fan of the engineering design cycle. And I know that that idea of engineering uh, really comes out in, in the books that you've just written. So maybe you want to talk a little bit about the three stories so far about Putney. So I started writing children's books because stories change attitudes. They do. And I felt like it wasn't enough just to try to reach kids in class, but if there were if there was a role model that they could see. My first attempt at my first book was so boring. It's like, <laughs> you know, my editor tactfully said, okay, well, you know, she gave me questions to help me solve. But, you know, so I had to start spicing it up and give Putney more problems. So one of the things that turned out because she needed to have more interaction with the her main rival mm-hmm. was I set her a design challenge. So I actually illustrated the process of rapid prototyping, which is you define a problem and you come up with a minimum viable product. And the intent is you just rapidly think through what do you need your project to be. In this case, it's a sit upon, literally something you sit upon, like if you go camping or if you're you know, sitting on the beach, mm-hmm. it needs to be kind of waterproof to protect you from sitting in something wet and yep. maybe a little bit of padding. Mm-hmm. And, and my first attempt was like kind of my ideal thing for me. It's like, okay, but for a 10 or 12 year old kid, this is huge. <laughs> you know, so I came up with the idea of, okay, so we take an Ikea bag and it's like, yep, yeah, I can cross my legs and sit down on it. I tried bubble wrap because my old Girl Scout sit-upons were these woven newspaper things that were heavy. Okay. Like, okay, bubble wrap, plop down on it, and I didn't pop the bubbles. You know, so I just had her go through a few things where she's testing, what size does it need to be? Is this working? You know, in about 30 minutes, she's gone through three or four prototypes and has come up with something she thinks is going to work pretty well. Yeah. And that was some, that was an assignment I gave at, at the art class because this is lo- these books are located in Hilton Head, South Carolina, mm-hmm. and they're in this experimental STEM steam school within walking distance of the beach. So they're okay. going to be gone from nature. So I put her in a situation where, okay, here's a sol- problem you need to solve. List, listening to all this, Marcia, I mean, this is, this is taking all those lessons that we think of are, would be really cool, relevant, you know, real world connections of STEM for, for our kids and turning it into a book. Now, these are really written for like that middle school age, correct? Kind of like that. That's my, that was my goal because I felt like middle school, they're old enough to understand some of these concepts. Mm-hmm. But you can mold them into almost anything. They're like yeah. lumps of clay. They're, 
and they're not <laughs> as overscheduled as you start getting in junior high and high school oh, when you yeah. have all the after school activities. So I felt like yeah. this is, I was doing so many creative things and at that age, I mm -hmm. felt like that's a way to really grab them and set them up for success. That's awesome. And, and there are three books. So that, that first There's one is Put, Putney and the Magic iPad. Uh, the second one is the Cardboard Boat Race. And the third one is the Butterfly Detective. And, and each one really draws in that, that engineering design process. You, you describe them almost as Sabrina meets MacGyver character, yeah. type character. And, and, and yeah, just this incredible uh, girl who gets to kind of solve these problems in a way mm -hmm. that's going to engage uh, any, any kid that's going to read this book. So Punny doesn't have any magical powers, but she's given this iPad from a favorite teacher from Kodiak, Alaska, uh -huh. that has a super advanced magical interface. So gotcha. it's kind of like a magical mentor. Yep. But she has to kind of be careful, and also has 3D printing capabilities, she finds out. That's cool. So, and in book two, it gets, it gets a bit of an upgrade. So... So, so there's some consequences to using magic. So when she uses it beyond just as a normal iPad, she burns her magic reservoir. But in book two, so you, if you've listened so far, you know that math is one of the things I'm passionate about, showing kids how relevant and incredibly important math is. It's like, try to write a book without words. That's like, that's what it would be for an engineer to work without math. Yeah, it is. So I try to tackle the math phobia in book two in a fun way. Mm -hmm. And I channeled a little bit of Doug Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So I start okay. one chapter out with don't panic, math <laughs> is magical. And I had this really hairy, scary equation. And I was like, and, and I basically try to give the reader permission. I had the math teacher say, hey, you have permission to doodle, but we're, we have this cardboard boat building challenge. Mm -hmm. um, that the students are signing up for. And I'm going to show you some equations that can help you design your boat. There you go. So, you know, so book two is about showing the relevance of and the power of math, mm -hmm. but in a fun way. It's like, you don't have to do the math. I just want you to understand, here's what you can do with it. And Putney comes up with a really creative solution, which I actually did in a, it was actually our Christmas party in February. <laughs> the fun's got, the fun's got, so it's, based, so it's based on a true story then, Marcia. It, a, a lot of my books, there's a lot of me in my books. <laughs> a lot of things I've done. I've made all the sit-upons in book one. Okay. I've made all the projects in the books. I got so hooked on building this cardboard boat, and two of the guys kept talking about battle boats. So I kept thinking about, oh my gosh, if they're splashing us, then the boat's going to fill with water and it's going to sink. And I, I came up with a different concept, which mm -hmm. we drew for teams survivor style. Okay. And I came up with a different concept, which is, I call a surf boat, which is basically you, you displace all the water you need underneath you mm -hmm. instead of needing sides. It's kind of like a boogie board or a surfboard. Like, like a, a stand-up stand paddle board, something like that. But, but not as heavy and not as, as yeah. So our, we won. We won all the races. <laughs> well, of course you would. <laughs> and, and we were unsinkable. And a couple of the guys, the bow boat twins, they actually stood up and were able to stand up on the paddle boat in the pool. So, wow. And all we needed for this. So our organization had just completed a move with, mm -hmm. you know, within the building, but we had all these cardboard boxes and, I yeah. thought, and we were trying to come up with the team building event. And I, and I was looking for, we used to do a ropes course years ago and I came upon build a boat and I thought, 
we could do that. I could call the yeah. GE credit, uh, the GE fitness center and see if we could use their pool. There you, go. you know, we just hauled tons of cardboard. So cardboard, we bought duct tape. We had box cutters and like three plastic tablecloths for team. Okay. And I made like bandana survivor style and, you know, <laughs> engineers geeking out, making a cardboard boat was like the most fun party we ever and had. Getting nerdy, you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> and, and, and how many of you teachers listening right now are thinking, oh, I want to get my kids building cardboard boats now. I mean, <laughs> yeah. things like that, where you can draw in that competition, that fun aspect. Here's what's important to educators. And, and Marsh and I were talking about it before the episode started. We don't want kids to just make a project because this is the project we're supposed to make or, you know, complete the egg drop project because we always do the egg drop project. No, we need to be bringing in those, those relevant, those connections, those curriculum content ideas to, to actually be able to build off of them and, and, and use all those engineering words. Find out those engineering design process, engineering design cycle words to help your kids understand what they're actually doing. They're not just making something. Exactly. And as like, as I was telling Chris, my egg drop project. So I did, I led five virtual experiments for GE volunteers and Girl Scouts of Western Ohio. And, and you can find them on my website. Mm -hmm. But as part of my PhD, I got into impact dynamics. And, you know, when, <laughs> when I checked in at the beginning of the summer, they were, they had, they had these other experiments planned and they had to pivot with COVID and suddenly eight weeks of virtual experiments. Wow. I had already gotten a cardboard catapult design because I originally was planning a nonfiction book. I was okay. trying to come up with experiments that parents and kids could do at home with things they had on hand. So it's exactly. like, I'd already, I'd already solved the problem of not being able to get the catapult kits we used to use. Mm -hmm. So I had a catapult design, a new cardboard boats um, from prior buoyancy experiments. That would be a good option. I raised butterflies and I done this you know, hey, water's like air. They're both fluids. So okay. you, can do a, you can do a wind tunnel with like almond milk and food coloring and see what the flow field is by, you know, have a little airfoil model that you, that's in book three, Butterfly Detective. Wow. Now I'm, now I'm geeking out on that idea. <laughs> so, you know, egg drop is one that we used to do. I've, I've heard egg drop forever, but I had never done one. Mm -hmm. And so... Sharon Carl was asking, well, do you want to try, you know, maybe egg drop or something? I thought, let me research and get back to you. And I looked on the internet and thought, oh, well, there's not a lot of science behind it here. So I started digging in and started, okay, so I've taken impact dynamics. I studied shot peening impact on metals, how to improve life. So I, I know about fracture mechanics and how things break. And you, you hear that? You hear that? You hear that, educators? She's not just saying we learn how to keep the egg from breaking when we drop it. She's talking about actual classes in college. So she's got this, this expertise that, that you can maybe think of and, and draw into that next time you do an egg drop project with your kids. So I actually derived the equation. So we're converting potential energy into kinetic energy. So right mm -hmm. before it hits the ground, all that part, potential energy, which is mass times gravity times height, Mm -hmm. is converted to one half mv squared. Mm -hmm. So you can solve velocity as a function of the gravitational constant and the height above the ground, not the mass. The mass yeah. cancels out. Mm -hmm. um, now, the velocity may change if you get air resistance, but you know, yep. in a vacuum, <laughs> velocity for two objects, 
But you can take those same two objects. So I take this big weighted ball and this little bouncy ball and I drop them on like a cotton ball box. So a flimsy cardboard box. Mm-hmm. Well, of course the impact damage is not the same. Right. You know, the heavy ball splatters that box against the floor. Right. But the bouncy ball just kind of bounces off. Yep. Obviously the impact damage is a function of yes, velocity, but also mass. Yep, exactly. So I show them, okay, we test the hypothesis. Does that seem right? They, you know, they're supposed to hit the ground at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we test that out, we prove it. And then I show them the effect of mass springs and dampers. So the egg is a mass. Mm-hmm. There's three elements in a mechanical system, in a normal mechanical system, not a fluid system, is a mass, a spring, and a damper. Okay. So dampers are things that dissipate velocity. Oh, yeah. Yep. Springs are energy storage devices. So mm-hmm. like a rubber band is a spring. We use the rubber band and the catapult. But if, if you've got velocity in the system and you want to counteract velocity, hint, hint, a damper is a good element to have in your egg drop protection system. Dang. Or you can work on outside the box system and try to lower the velocity by doing a hang glider system. Yeah. But, but I, did, I did this cattywampus outside the box frame with pieces of bamboo and duct tape. And I suspended the egg in a plastic bag in the middle with different rubber bands. And eventually the frame deforms enough that the egg cracks. <laughs> but, but I had so much fun coming up with different systems to test. Yeah. That's part of what I feel like the fun of STEM is, is just learning on your own terms, going off road and trying to figure things out and really testing the relationships between different objects. And there's one other thing I want to share while I'm thinking about mass springs and dampers. Yeah. Do you know the term analog computer? Right. Yep. Because there's an analogy between capacitors and masses, dampers and resistors and springs and inductors. So Actually, when I went to Purdue, we could solve differential equations with electronic components. We had to figure out what the equivalent was for our mechanical system and put the right, you know, resistor resistors in there. But you you get these plots out real time. Before we had digital computers, we used analog computers because, hey, they between different systems, rotational fluid systems, mechanical systems, rotational, you know, thermal systems, electrical systems, the differential equations behave the same. And that is part of the power of math. Yeah. Once you learn how to solve one set of differential equations, you can solve it for a lot of different systems. Right. Because they behave the same way. You just got to know, it's kind of like secret agents. You got to know that the amount of hairy mass here is actually equal to the capacitance character over (laughs) in the electrical system. (laughs) Marsha, you're, you're, you're talking about all these ideas and, and, and my uh, like college educated math brain is going, wow, I remember all these ideas. But, mm-hmm. but, the, but I think I think so cool to be thinking about here. You're this kid that started out loving to make and create things as a kid. Mm-hmm. You, you went to college, you, you started to stumble, you started to struggle a little bit, you pressed on. And here, and here you are these years later, you've, you've experienced this incredible career uh, at GE Aviation, and, and now you're writing children's books. And now you're writing to be able to help influence and inspire that next generation of kids to be makers and creators and designers and engineers and, and architects and mathematicians and, and scientists and researchers. And, 
educators, that's what we get to do every day. We get to be those people that help launch people like Marsha onto those, those paths of uh, incredible things for their lives. Um, I, I, I only wish everybody could be watching this interview with me because <laughs> Marsha's in there. She's like jumping up and down and, and, and like doing these demonstrations and stuff. And, and I know she also does speaking in library and school visits too. And, and, and I tell you what, you know, whether they're regular or virtual, I mean, she's going to inspire some kids in, in your classroom if, if you want to. Uh, check it out at PutneyDesigns.com. Of course, if you want to find out more about that as well. One thing I, I do want to ask you about, and then we'll, we'll kind of get to the end here, Marsha, um, mm -hmm. confidence. You talked about that, and, and, and I know you really wanted to point this out, especially confidence for girls. Um, yes. Jumping into those yes. STEM fields. What's your best piece of advice and, and, and thoughts on that? You need to monitor your self-talk, and you mm -hmm. need to be kind to yourself because mm -hmm. girls tend to have higher standards for themselves than they do for other people. In fact, as a freshman at Purdue, my roommate was in aerospace engineering because her dad said, you will be aerospace engineer. <laughs> um, and she was pulling A's and that mm -hmm. was harder classes than I was taking as a mechanical engineer. Mm -hmm. And she kept saying, it's so hard, it's so hard. By the end of the year, she changed into languages. Now, I'm not saying that was the wrong choice for her. Right. But I know so many women, um, and even current friends, new friends, I hear all the time, it's like, oh, yeah, it was so hard, I almost quit, or I did quit. And it's because they feel like they're not good enough. Mm -hmm. And you've got to monitor that self-talk and tell yourself, hey, learning from failing, that's that's part of life. Yeah, it is. And just avoiding challenge isn't going to help. But no. you need to tell, you need to rewrite the language that the little squirrel that goes around in your brain that runs a little <laughs> hamster cage. Yeah. You got to rewrite it from I can't to I can do this. Yeah. I am creative. I can do this. I can figure this out. Mm -hmm. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to get help. But Follow your passions, follow your dreams, start with your interests. You don't need to be anybody other than who you are. Mm -hmm. And if you start with your own interests, you don't have to grow up tinkering with bicycles. I grew up sewing. In fact, one of the best um, decisions I ever made, seventh grade, my mother let me join my savings account, all of like $250 right. to my sewing machine. Yeah. And at the time, I was making doll clothes. Because my sister went to Ohio State. She was six years older than me, and she took the sewing machine with her. <laughs> so I bought this um, Necky Lydia MK2. And similar Necky is now in the Museum of Modern Art. But Really? I mean, it's like, yeah, I was, I was making doll clothes at first, but I graduated quickly onto real clothes, designing my own things. I even made a like like life-size stuffed lion that... Well, <laughs> she's she's walking over to get it right now educators yeah, i i did <laughs> oh wow so art we had we learned how to hook rugs so i i hooked the rug for his face and trimmed it and then the mane so it's like i made leather pads for the claws you know i figured out how to put darts in and and sew something in 3d that, so 
those skills, those skills transfer to everything. And again, like you said, um, you, you can't be a good sewer until you're a good ripper. Uh, yeah. I, I've heard my mom say that so many times uh, growing up, the same thing, that idea that it's okay to fail as long as we keep on going. And, and to not stop, it's like there's, there are people that will say done is better than perfect. Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't stress about being perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, get something done, learn from it you can always tweak it. So don't yes, worry can. about getting it perfect on the first try because yep. Yep. Um, another passion of mine is dog training. Oh, And people stress all the time about, oh, my dog did something wrong. I've got to correct him. It's like, no, you don't. Take a deep breath. Just figure out what you would do next time because if your dog did something right, you wouldn't worry that he would do it right the rest of his life, would you? Wow. So why do you stress when he does something wrong? So if we focus on the positives, and reinforce that it's that that positive reinforcement the building value for doing the task that's awesome letting the dogs choose to engage in the task means you've got to have the right value and then of course you need some balance so you need kind of the play breaks and you need so it can't just be all hard work mm-hmm. it's got to be here's what i'm going to get if i do this okay, now let me kind of solve that problem. But yeah, now let me take a break. And the fun thing about STEM and, and STEAM, because uh-huh. the art piece was big for me, yep. you, can be a, you can learn to be a problem solver in any discipline in any field. Right. So start where your hobbies are. The, the content that teachers have to teach tends to be labeled as facts, concepts, generalizations, and problem solving skills. Yep. Problem-solving skills are the hardest ones to teach, but they're the most transferable. They are. They are. Yep. So you can learn them where your hobbies and your passions are, and you'll be that much quicker to solve the next problem, whatever that problem is. Yep. There we go. That's where we, that's where we bring in that relevance piece. Mm-hmm. And, and again, STEM education, STEAM education, it's not so much just about those subject, those four content areas, whatever. It's really about making learning relevant to, to a kid. And um, what a, I'm just thinking back over this, this conversation today, Marcia, and, and just such a wide range of, of topics. And, and, and I think that shows uh, each and every one of us out here as educators uh, to really think about our kids uh, in that same way. They've got these wide range of interests. I mean, you, Marcia, you, aviation and engineering, and, and yet here are uh, writing children's books and loving to sew and design and make things and, and do projects with kids and volunteering your time. Um, just incredible. Um, I, I really appreciate all, all, of, all of your advice, your thoughts. Uh, I wish we could probably, and we probably could keep talking for hours, um, <laughs> but, but I know educators need to get back to uh, everything else that they're doing. I want to remind educators, check out putneydesigns.com where you can find the great resources, some of the projects and challenges that you've created. And, and of course, she's adding more. Uh, and then her three books um, about, about Putney, especially if you've got middle school kids that you're trying to, to help engage uh, and think about that engineering design process. Uh, get those books, check them out, and find a way to get them into your library or your classroom. And, and if you're interested in having me speak to your school, you can reach mm-hmm. out to me um, at the bottom of every web page. There's a... Um, yeah a way to reach me and my email is info at putneydesigns.com. So you yeah. can just email me directly. Yeah. But and I would love to hear what you think and yeah, you know, if you've got any questions or 
projects you need help on. Yes, and, and educators, you should definitely ask to see the lion that she made. It is incredible. Oh, it, it, <laughs> it, is, it is on the website, so you got to look at the design gallery. There you go. So I've got it, a pop gallery and a design <laughs> gallery. So I do this stuff for fun. Exactly. I butterflies, then I make portable emerging cases so I can transfer my monarch butterfly chrysalises down to Hilton Head so I don't have to abandon them in Cincinnati. And then, okay. It's, yeah. So I remon uh, five monarchs got a 700 mile shortcut on their migration this year. That's, that's cheating. I two think of them, two of them <laughs> didn't get it because we had to come back a week later oh. uh, unexpectedly, but you know, five of them got a 700 mile shortcut and <laughs> I had the fun of designing an emerging case with zippers and PVC mesh, a fine mesh. And um, those are things that happen. I just have fun coming up with, Oh, okay. Got to get this um, safely um, to Hilton Head in my husband's car. Okay, I can do go. that. That's awesome. Thank you, Marsha. Uh, so, so incredible. You've even inspired us all. Again, Marsha Tuft, uh, PutneyDesigns.com. You can find her and, and all the great information. Thank you so much uh, for talking with us and inspiring us all today, Marsha. You're very welcome, Chris. And again, uh, don't forget to subscribe to the STEM Everyday Podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review that helps more educators to find out about it. And uh, check out all the information in the show notes as well. And uh, so you can connect with Marsha and uh, find out all the great things that she's doing. And uh, as always, uh, just keep up the great work, educators. You can connect with me at DailyStem or at DailyStem.com. And I'm always here to help because teachers, we really are uh, doing the greatest work ever.